Green. Well, it's great to be here. Um, so I'm Rich from Community Church Leeds. Uh, so I'm a, a church minister, but I used to be an atheist. So a bit of a difference. Uh, and that's the, sort of the, the opening probably line to, to what would be my story. Uh, I was an atheist for the first 20 years uh, of my life. Uh, I was wrong. Uh, but, uh, and then some things radically changed. Uh, so, so this is who this strange guy that you don't really know is, is at the front. Let me introduce the family, the, uh, the Colebrook clan to you. Here we go. So... Um, it's uh, my, my wife there with our eldest and me and his, his wife, Neve, that got married uh, two years ago. So that's Matt and then Steve uh, here uh, and then Susanna, our youngest, who's 20 at the moment. She's in Germany. She's doing uh, French and German at university. And, and the other member of the family, Frisbee the dog. Yeah, she's a Boxer Labrador cross. Um, and we're going to think about story, your story. Uh, for a few minutes and we're just going to look uh, very quickly at uh, a story uh, in the scriptures. Uh, Luke uh, wrote two, two of the books in the Bible, uh, most of you will probably know, sort of his, his gospel, Luke's gospel and Acts. Luke was a doctor and a historian and in the way he writes, the style he writes, he's writing history. He's writing a historical account. These are actual events that happened and he's got two accounts in there of roads. The, the second one is in Acts chapter 9. There's a guy called Saul who becomes Paul, going to Damascus. Uh, he's opposing uh, this new thing, the church, uh, these believers in Jesus. Uh, and as he's on the way, uh, a light appears from heaven, uh, flashes around him, he falls to the ground, he's blinded. And a voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, being a good Jewish uh, Pharisee and rabbi, he knows light from heaven and a voice from heaven means God speaking to you. It's pretty obvious, really, but he, he did know that as well from his theology. Uh, and he responds and he finds it's Jesus speaking to him. A dramatic from zero to 100% uh, transformation in this guy as he comes to faith in Christ in a moment uh, lying on the floor on the road to Damascus. That happens sometimes. But for most people, most of us, that is not the way uh, that we have found faith in Christ. Or if we're still on that journey, that's not what the journey looks like for us. It's much more steady, much more step by step. Mine was over an 18-month period where, when I was seriously thinking about it and investigating. And this is where the second story, going back into the end of Luke's Gospel, comes in. A story on another road, a road to Emmaus uh, from Jerusalem. This is post-resurrection. So Jesus has died uh, on the Friday, about three o'clock on the Friday. Uh, he's, uh, the tomb is empty on the Sunday morning. He's appeared. Uh, uh, he's already spoken uh, to one of the women. Angels have spoken to them as well. And these guys are on the road to Emmaus. And this is what it says. Now the same day, that's the Sunday, Sunday resurrection day, two of them, two of the disciples, were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, the death, the crucifixion of Christ is what they're focused on. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas said, uh, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What's happened? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. 
But we had hoped that he was the one coming to redeem Israel, the Messiah, the rescuer from heaven. That's what they'd hoped. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explains, as they're stepping along step by step on the road to Emmaus, he explains to them what it was said in all the scriptures concerning him. He's putting the jigsaw puzzle together for them bit by bit. That's how most people find faith. In Christ, as he approached the village, he he looks like he's going to continue, and they ask him to stay, uh, and um, so he stays. And when he was at the table, it goes on to say with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sights. They asked each other, "Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us?" That's how most people find faith. In Jesus Christ. In 21st century UK. It's much more of a step by step. If you like a Emmaus Road type journey. As they put that jigsaw puzzle together. Rather than uh, a Damascus Road experience. We sometimes hear the stories. The Damascus Road stories. Because they're dramatic and exciting. But for most of us. Certainly in my case, it's a step-by-step. So we're going to be thinking about what's our story, because our story can be part of helping people find this connection with God for themselves. We've all got something to say. Uh, we've got, I've got a friend, she's a, she's a mathematician, very, very bright. Uh, and uh, I first met her in, in, in October, and uh, she decided she wants to investigate faith, investigate Christianity in particular. Uh, and she came, started to come along to an Alpha course. That's an introduction to Christianity that we were, uh, were running. Uh, but she's an atheist, and she's coming from a very sort of logical, rational place. I'm here to investigate. Uh, I'm sort of intelligent enough to be able to put the jigsaw together and see if this stuff adds up or not in terms of a historical, uh, the historical evidence uh, for, for Christianity. And there's loads of historical evidence for it. So she's doing this. And as she's doing it, uh, she comes to me one day and she says, um, I want to talk to you. She said, you used to be an atheist, didn't you? I said, yeah, I was an atheist. She said, uh, I too was an atheist. She said, but I've, I've realised I've begun to believe in God. Uh, and I've not made a rational decision to do so. Uh, this is the first time anything in my life has happened where I've begun to believe in something without making a rational decision about it. And she said, um, And I've heard people talk about head knowledge and heart knowledge. She said, I'm assuming this must be heart knowledge that I'm experiencing. So I said, yeah. And it's one of these moments. She says, you know, can you explain a bit more? And it's one of those moments you think, oh, Lord, please help me. Because I could say something really stupid and look really thick here. Uh, She's really intelligent. I've just got to try and get something right. So I said, so have you thought of a rational explanation for this? Her name's Amelia. Amelia, and she says, "Um, well, the only rational explanation I can come up with is that... uh, this God, he must exist. And he must be capable of affecting, changing my heart. So I agree with that. I thought, that's great. Yeah, we can go with that. And I said, yeah. I said, so um, have you, hey, can you see that as this continues, that you might reach a point where you want to have a relationship with him? 
And she said, yes, that would be a logical deduction. That was the December and uh, the end of January. She found that, log that uh, logical deduction and that relationship with him. Um, it was a process for her. And it's a process for most people. And there are some keys. I just want to share some keys with us about sharing our story. If you just go on to the next slide. Every one of us has a story. And it's more miraculous than we think. We get so used to it that we miss sometimes how incredible and miraculous it is how God has broken into our lives or how he is breaking into our lives. If you're here and you're still on that journey, still piecing the jigsaw together like Amelia was back in December, well, no, it's great that you're here. You're here partly... Because God's drawing close. And you too have a story of how he's beginning to draw close. And something inside is beginning to click into place. And you're feeling a bit of that sense, yeah, he's, he's for real, isn't he? And I could know him. So the first thing I'd say, A, or we've got A, B, C, D. A is authentic. If you're telling your story, be authentic, be real. People can connect with your story because you're just like them. We've all got stories, uh, and uh, powerful stories are authentic stories. Tell it truthfully from the heart, because it's like you're a bridge between them and God, helping them to connect with Jesus through what you've uh, connected with, how you've connected with him. B, before we go on to B, but God, a little interlude from Homer Simpson. Wow, what an ending! Who'd have thought Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father? Ah, thank you! Oh, thank you, Mr. Blow the Picture for me. Okay, the book God moments. Every story, every one of us, we, our story, if you think about it, there is that book God moment. For Amelia, her book God moment, the stuff that only God could do was her recognising, realising, hey, I've started to believe in him and I've not made a rational decision to do so. That was her book God moment. And if you think about your story, wherever you are on your journey, there will be one or two at least, probably more, but God moments when it began to click, when he draws close and it starts to become real. What, you, what are your but God moments? They'll often give you a theme, a flavour for your story. My story, I was an atheist as I said, uh, but as I connected with God and sort of researched the, the historical evidence uh, of the resurrection in particular, I found purpose and meaning in life in a way that I had never expected and to a level that I had never imagined. And that's the essence uh, of my story. Those book God moments will give you an essence, will give you a flavour of what your story is. See characters. I've got a friend who's a, a published author and I said to her, well, you know, because I was coming here to talk about stories. What's the key to telling a good story? He said, characterisation is one of the keys. Because you can relate to the characters. The whole point of the characters in a story is they connect with you. They draw you in to the story. There are two key characters, two main characters in, in your story. You and Jesus. There'll be other characters as well, other people as well. You, that character, you help people to connect with Jesus. He's not some God somewhere out there that's invisible and you can't really relate to. Through you, that person can begin to connect. So tell the story in a way that helps them to connect to you. And then you can be the bridge to help them to connect with Jesus, who's the hero of the story. And finally, 
D. When Jesus is involved, it's always good news. So be damn sure it's good news. I had to use that because I couldn't figure out another way for D. But I thought you'd remember it if I said damn sure it's good news. It's good news. It is brilliant news. When he's involved, life gets transformed. Just think of your own lives, right? My life is radically different to what it was. And I am so, so grateful. It is fantastic news. So when you tell your story, it's great news. So what I'd like you to do, we're going to have a little timer on. You've got a minute just to think, what's my story? What's my story so far? Uh, what are those but God moments in my story that give my story a bit of flavour and an essence? You've got a minute, and then you in pairs, preferably with somebody who you're not related to, you're going to tell your story. You'll have two minutes. That's all. So you get it clear in your mind what those book God moments are, what the essence is, because you've just got two minutes. Okay. On your marks, get set, go. One minute to prepare and think. Little tip here, just as someone say, Lion of Judah, don't talk about zoos, right? Because that's what people will think. If you start talking Lion of Judah or Lamb, just keep it simple, keep it jargon-free. Okay, three, two, one. Right, two minutes now. First person. Okay, let's stop. And sorry if you didn't take, if you didn't finish. My apologies. You obviously talk too much if you didn't finish in two minutes. Okay, just a final little tip for us on telling our story. Just going back to the stories Damascus Road versus Emmaus Road. If you think Emmaus Road, when you tell your story to somebody who is who is searching, looking to put that jigsaw together for themselves about faith in the 21st century and where Jesus fits in. Um, it's a step for them. Think step. Take this, takes the pressure off, right? You don't have to get, you don't have to Damascus Road. Sometimes you get Damascus Road, but most of the time, it's a maze road. Just think step. Another step on the, on the journey. That's what you're after. Okay, we're going to just change text slightly, and we're going to think uh, a little bit about where are our stories, our stories, each of our stories fits into a big story. The big story. Uh, and the big story uh, which we find in the scriptures uh, is a story about the true living God who is reaching out to humanity in love. He loves us. The heartbeat of heaven is God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. That's the heartbeat of heaven. And his love is not a passive love. He doesn't just sit there in heaven and look down at us and think, oh, I love those people. They do some daft stuff, but I love them. He doesn't do that. He's active. He died for you. That's how active he is. And he's still active. And he draws close. Just go on to the next slide. See, this is actually the creation of Adam, but we could think any person, God is reaching out. He's active. And the key, the key when we think about helping people make that connection with God for themselves or witnessing is that God gets there before us. He's already at work in people's lives. He loves people. He's drawing close. He's active. He gets there before us. And for some people, there are times, for everybody I'd say, there are times in their lives when God draws close. And if it's one of those moments, you can see God at work. So evangelism, 
witnessing, reaching out to people is not, it really isn't about us trying to make something happen. Because that's hard work. And that's a lot of people's experience. It doesn't have to be that. It isn't that. It's about joining God in what he's already doing in people's lives. And that is so much easier. He does all the heavy lifting. And we just tag along and surf the wave of what he's doing. We're going to look at a story uh, about this. We're going to swap Gospels. We're going to go to John now. Uh, and John chapter 4, if you wanted to turn to it. But um, the, the key bit is going to come up uh, on the screen in a moment. And this is a story. Uh, if we just go next slide. Um, about Jesus. Uh, he's in the south in G- uh, Judea. And he has to go to the north, Galilee. Uh, and in between the south and the north is an area called Samaria where the Samaritans live. The Samaritans uh, were, were, were descended from Jews who'd intermarried during the exile period. Uh, hated by the Jews because as, as far as the Jews were concerned, the Samaritans had, had polluted the blood of the patriarchs with Gentile blood. So they were hated. Uh, and normally a Jew would bypass Samaria. He would go west or east, bypass it if he was going from south to north or north to south. Uh, but Jesus goes through Samaria. He says he had to go through Samaria at the start of this story. He didn't geographically. He could have bypassed it. There is a sense that there's a little nudge from the Holy Spirit here. And he knows something is happening. And he reaches this place called Sychar. It's about 12 o'clock, the sixth hour to the Jew, 12 o'clock lunchtime. uh, And there's a well there and there's a woman drawing water from the well. At this point, it was obvious he didn't need to know anything other than the customs of the day, which he'd have been familiar with, to know that this woman, there was something wrong. She was drawing water at the wrong time of the day, 12 o'clock. It should be morning or evening. She was doing it on her own rather than with other women. It was the, the women's job in that culture. So she was clearly a social outcast. She's drawing water, and a conversation ensues. And during this conversation, he tells her to go and get her husband and has then a word from heaven about her having had five husbands and the guy that she's living with isn't her husband. She then changes tack a bit uh, uh, to talk about worship, and in the end of this conversation, he tells her that he's the Messiah, the one who's come from heaven to rescue people, the one who the Samaritans were also waiting for, as well as the Jews. At that point, the disciples return. It's 12 o'clock. They've been looking for food for lunch. And this is where we pick up the story. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, because he, he's effectively, as far as they're concerned, a Jewish rabbi. Um, so he shouldn't have been talking to A, a woman, Jewish rabbis wouldn't do that. They were men. They wouldn't have done that. B, a foreigner. So she's female, she's foreign, and she's frayed. She's clearly a social outcast, probably for moral reasons. Three reasons why he shouldn't be talking to her. But actually, previously, with one sentence, asking her for a drink, he's brought those three barriers down, as only he can do. But no one asks him, what do, you want, what, uh, what do you want or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town, remember she's a social outcast, and said to the people, come, see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him some food? 
My food, Jesus says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look. And imagine, right? All these people now coming towards the well. You know, open your eyes and look, guys. You know, wakey, wakey. Look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. The story then goes on. Uh, they persuade him to stay for two more days. Uh, and in those two days, by the end of it, most of that village have come to believe that he's a They've come into a relationship with him. They've been saved. And it finishes with them saying to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you've said. We've heard it for ourselves. We've seen it for ourselves. We know that this guy really is the saviour of the world. You can look at that story in all sorts of different ways. But one of the ways you can look is the difference between Jesus and his disciples. He expects... He expects, so he's looking for it. He's at that well. He knows he's there for a reason. He's expecting, he sees, and he sees an incredible breakthrough. And in one weekend, effectively plants a church. Son advantages to being the son of God. I've been doing it for three years in Leeds, and it's hard work. He can do it in a weekend. (laughs) The disciples, on the other hand, they're in Samaria. Samaria is not a cool place to be if you're a Jew. So there's no expectation, from, 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 as far as they're concerned, that anything good could ever happen to Samaria other than fire falling down from heaven and burning all the Samaritans up. That, as far as they're concerned, would be good. But nothing else good is going to happen in Samaria. And they can't even see it. They've got no expectation. They can't even see it even when the crowds are coming towards them. They wouldn't have known what they'd have missed if Jesus hadn't, handed out, uh, hadn't sort of pointed it out to them. The challenge for us when we think about witnessing to people is that more often than not that we're more like the disciples than Jesus because we've all got our Samarias or to go, to put it in another way. Let's go on to the next slide, the bridge. This is the Tay Rail Bridge in Scotland. On the 20th of December, 1879, a storm was raging, a Force 10 gale. Tragedy struck as a train was crossing the Tay Rail Bridge. The bridge collapsed, plunging 75 people in the train into the icy waters below, and they all perished. It remains one of the worst structural disasters of the British Isles. They rebuilt the bridge, Next, the old one. We've all got our own Tay rail bridges when it comes to reaching out to people. Stumps of projects. Stumps of things that we tried and they didn't work. The water doesn't completely cover them up. The enemy of our souls makes sure it doesn't. So he can remind us. And every time we think about reaching out to someone or we think about witnessing all that dreaded E-word, evangelism, we're reminded of those stumps. And they just stick up enough. Don't bother, he says. It'll fail again. And our focus becomes the stumps of the old rather than pressing on to reach the other side. That's the challenge. 
Oh, but God bit. We worship a God, and one of his specialities is resurrection. He is very good at it. He brings new life. That's what happened to this woman at the well. Jesus, I said, shouldn't have spoken to her. She's female, foreign, she's afraid. But with one sentence, can I have a drink? He brings all those down. He transforms that woman's life from being the social outcast to the ambassador. The ambassador of her village who introduced them to the Messiah and eternal salvation. A radical transformation like only he can do. L.P. Hartley, in his book The Go-Between, starts the book with this sentence. The past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. The truth for us, worshipping a God who specialises in resurrection, is that past can also be a foreign country for us. Our past can be a foreign country. Things can be different. And my encouragement this morning is that it's time to dream again. Is it time to dream again? Grow with fresh expectation. Because what we're doing when we're reaching out to people is simply joining with God in what he's already doing. I've got a friend who, uh, he helped me run a barbecue for the World Cup final, football World Cup final last, last summer. And I took him out the next day for a bacon sandwich to thank him. And we're sitting there having a bacon sandwich. He says, hey, Rich, can I tell you a story? I'd only met him a couple of times, this guy. And he said, um, three years ago, he said, um, my wife left me, left me in debt and... Um, I got more and more depressed, and I decided in the end I was going to commit suicide. So I bought two big tubs of paracetamol. I bought my favourite beer, a Budweiser. I've got the paracetamol, the Budweiser on the table. I've got my Stanley knife from my toolkit. I'm going to take the, the paracetamol, wash it down with the beer, slit my wrist to make sure. And I'm sitting there about to do it. He says, and people think I'm mad when I say this, but I heard a voice. And the voice said to me, make a phone call. She says, so I think, who do I phone? And I said, I remembered, he said, that morning I'd been at the doctor's and I picked up a little leaflet with a mental health helpline number on it. I get it out of my pocket, I, I phone the number and they say, what do you think is the right thing to do? He says, well, I've got a nine-year-old son upstairs and all he's got. I know what the right thing to do is. So he doesn't do it. He says to me, I reckon that voice was God. What do you reckon? God's at work. So we, we have a chat about God's love and why he would do that. And then over the next few months, he goes on his own amazed road journey until September. He asked Jesus into his life as well. It's time to dream again. You can join with God in what he's doing. Here's some ways to get fresh expectation. Four R's. Read, first of all. Read the Gospels with new eyes. What I mean by that is we are so familiar we know what happens, don't we? 5,000 hungry people, a few loaves and fishes. Oh, we know what's going to happen. No big deal. We're so used to the stories. And we lose the wow factor. There is a massive wow factor in every one of these stories. Even this story about the Samaritan woman at the well, there is a wow factor. How on earth do you transform a woman's life like that in half an hour? He can do it. It's wow. He's amazing. Refrain, secondly, from speaking and listening to unbelief. Faith comes by hearing, so does a lack of faith. You're just listening to something different. And we are so used, particularly the British, we are so used 
to being a bit cynical. And we think it's somehow okay and clever to be cynical and negative and unbelieving. It's not cool, because it gets into us. It's like a cancer that gets into us. Receive, thirdly. You can receive it, you can catch it, you can, it can be imparted. Receive it from people who are a bit more infectious with it. How hungry are you? How hungry are you to see lives changed forever? Because that's what we're talking about, isn't it? People's lives being changed forever. Uh, I used to be in Oxford before uh, being here and um, had the sad privilege of conducting the funerals of a number of people that I'd seen come to faith. And every one, as the coffin was loaded into the ground or as the curtain was closed at the crematorium, I would just whisper, see you later, mate. Because I will. I'll see him later. Transformed lives. And refuse. We can refuse to accept that the future is just going to look like the past. The past really can be a foreign country. Let's just do a last click on the last slide. A few more, another, a bit more of a positive picture there. Down there, that's a lady called Maria. She's getting baptised. That's Kate and me baptising her. Uh, Maria's story is that uh, she, she's actually from Portugal. Uh, she works in Leeds and uh, she was going along to an English class that uh, Kate, my wife, uh, was, was running. And one evening, it's Tuesday evening, Kate is driving to this class and just feels it's just the slightest little nudge from the Holy Spirit. There's someone there to talk to tonight. That's all she gets. But she goes, therefore, with expectation. There's someone to chat to tonight. So after the class, we're having a cup of tea, and she's just sort of working the room, basically, just going around the room, asking, having a chat to people. And she comes up to Maria and says, how are you, Maria? Maria is not English. So Maria does, doesn't say, fine, thank you. She says, actually, I'm not very good. So they go into another room, and Maria bursts into tears. And she says how lonely she is being in Leeds. So Kate... Now, with expectation, because the Holy Spirit's given her the nudge as she's driving there, is emboldened and says, you know what, we've got a, we've, uh, as well as doing this charity stuff, she says, I, I, uh, I'm part of a church, I lead a church. Uh, do you want to come? We've got a meeting tomorrow night at our house. It's like a family. It can be for your, your family too if you want. Why don't you come to our house tomorrow night? So she does. Then she's with us on the Sunday. She's, she's, she's from Portugal, right? So she, and then she spent time in Venezuela. We were doing a brunch that Sunday. She, she brings something for the brunch. Uh, it's called a Venezuelan milk cake. This is diabetes on a plate. <laughs> right, so you, what you do is you make a sponge, a sweet sponge, and then you mix. It has to be full-fat milk with condensed milk and evaporated milk and sugar. And then you soak the sponge in it. It tastes really good. But as you eat it, you can feel the arteries starting to clog. So she brings that. She's with us then the next Wednesday. The next Sunday, we're breaking bread together. And uh, Kate explains the gospel to her as she, we break bread. And she gives her life to the Lord. You can expect God's at work. He was at work in Maria's life. That was a set-up job. He set it all up, ready. So we can expect. Expectation, joining with God in what he's already doing. If there is a silver bullet to make mission and evangelism more straightforward. Certainly it's not about techniques, because techniques change as culture changes. It's probably this expectation in my experience. I work with about 30 churches in the UK, helping them with their evangelism and, and stuff. And I know, you know when you go into a situation, 
If they're seeing people come to faith, you'll always find this. If they're not, you'll always not find this. Expectation. It is probably the key. So what I'd like to do, if you'd allow me, is to pray. Pray and ask God. We all need a bit more. We've all got those stumps. If you just go back one slide. Here we are, the stumps. We've all got those stumps, haven't we? I've got plenty of them. And somehow I have to say, I'm going to dream again. And I imagine, when, I, when we were in Oxford, we had an ex-heavyweight champion boxer become a Christian. This guy, before he was a Christian, was a mean bit of work. If you looked at him the wrong way, he'd cross the street to punch you unconscious. If, someone, if he was coming home late uh, at night after a night out in the town on the bus and uh, some you know, lads were, some, or kick, were kicking off in the bus, just to have a quiet trip home, he would punch them all unconscious. I mean, it normally was one punch. He was 24 stone, 6 foot 6. He was like a human gorilla, this guy. He boxed for Great Britain. When he became a Christian, he became as soft as anything. And I baptised him. It took three of us to baptise him in a swimming pool. <laughs> to get him under and get him back up again. Because he was massive. Right. When he comes up, he put his fist in the air like that. And he turns to me and says, Rich, greatest victory in my life. He's got all his broken nose and stuff. And I imagine my friends, I imagine baptising them like Maria, and when they come up, fist in the air, greatest victory. We can see it. See it in your imagination. You can pray for it. You can see it in reality. We can expect, because God's at work in people's lives. So let's pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and help us, shall we? I'm going to pray for us all, and then if you'd like to bring your groups to continue, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that with you, there is the wow factor. You are amazing. And what you can do in people's lives, what you've done in our lives, we've been telling our stories, what you've done in our lives is amazing. It's incredible. And Lord, we want to thank you that you're at work in people's lives because you love them. You draw close. The Garys, the Marias, the Andy, the heavyweight boxer. You draw close. And you're at work in their lives. And Lord, we want to join you in what you're doing in people's lives. Lord, we want a fresh start. We're aware as we look back at different times that we've all got stumps, disappointments, whose heads rear up above the water and taunt us. And Lord, we want to look past them to the other side of the shore, to the other side of the river. And Lord, we want to ask you to help us. I want to pray, Lord, for these guys here. Lord, whatever you've given me in faith and expectation, Lord, I want to pray for an impartation of that now. Holy Spirit, would you come? Come, Holy Spirit. And bring that expectation, that impartation of expectation. We want to begin to believe, Lord, that people, the likes of Gary, Maria, Andy, they're not going to say no to you. They're going to say yes. They want to say yes. They just need someone to explain it. And I pray, Lord, for that expectation to rise in our hearts. We want to say, Lord, that we want the past to be a foreign country. We want to look back and say, well, we did things differently there. We used to think that evangelism was about making stuff happen. But now we're seeing what you're doing, Lord, and we're joining you. 
And we're expecting that you're going to bring people across our path. I want to pray, Lord, for these guys. Lord, that this next week, they would firstly have an opportunity to tell their two-minute story to somebody else. And secondly, Lord, I want to pray, Lord, that you would start to stir expectation and that you would bring someone across their path in whose life you're drawing close and they want to know more. Amen.